isn't it? Ephesians chapter 6, I'd like for you to turn there with me, please. We pick up this week where we've left off considering the command of God's Word and through the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians to stand against the wiles of the devil. And if you remember, before we ever got there, we had to back up. We began looking at standing against the wicked one. But we had to back up and talk about first sitting before we can stand. Sometimes we say that about children, right? You have to crawl before you walk. And the truth is you have to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus before you can ever stand against Satan. And before we can ever stand against the attack of Satan, not only do we learn to sit in heavenly places, but then we learn to walk as children of light. We learn to walk circumspectly. We learn to walk in love. We learn to walk differently than we used to walk. And then we can start thinking about standing against the enemy. Today, we, we have already made our way through the different pieces of armor. Last week, we talked about the sword, and many people would stop their study there. Many would say, that's it. That's the armor of God. You've got all the, the protective armory, and you have the sword of the Spirit, and that's everything. But would you look this way for a moment? It is not everything. There's more. There's more. The Bible tells us, as Tommy read it a moment ago, but we'll look at verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. When we hit that sword of the Spirit, when we worked our way down that list of armor and made it to the sword of the Spirit, the atmosphere and the direction for the battlefield has changed. Because the first few descriptions were given to us on how to resist and withstand, stand against the attack of Satan. But when we pick up that sword, the tune changes. Because the sword is not just defensive, but it is very much offensive. And we begin, I hope, we begin to think about the onward attack and forward progress of the church of Jesus Christ. But can I tell you this morning, one of the greatest mistakes in this spiritual warfare is to think that the church's work is predominantly a defensive work. That's one of the greatest mistakes that Christians are making today. And so many believers spend most of their time and they expend most of their energy in defending themselves against the fiery darts of the wicked. And Satan, knowing that this would be our inclination, Satan, knowing that we would be afraid, keeps firing one arrow after another arrow so that all we think about is not getting hit. And we live just to survive. And we get up in the morning and we fight just to keep our head above the water. And we run from one day to the next day trying to escape the snares and the pitfalls and the devices of the enemy. And for the most part, we live exhausted lives running from Satan. How many of you have ever felt that way before? Yes. We have confused the Christian battle with something of the world. 
And this morning, I want you to know that God has much more for you than simply hiding behind a shield or behind a wall somewhere, holding up in the trenches somewhere, just trying to make sure you don't lose your head in this battle. God has more for you. The Christian life is not predominantly defensive. It is rather offensive. You say, but we have many pieces of armor and only one weapon. Yes, it is true that the armor has been given to us for our protection. It is a defensive set of armor. We give thanks to God. Do we not give thanks that he's given us something to protect ourselves against the onslaught of Satan? Of course. But it is not true that the only weapon we have is the sword of the Spirit. Like I said a moment ago, let us not look at this book as just simply one weapon or one sword. Let us look at it as a treasure chest full, an artillery chest full of weapons. It's a book filled with weapons. After all, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 4, for the weapons, plural, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty. Would you look here for a moment? If our weapons are mighty, then why do we live frightened to death behind a shield? Cowering in defeat. We have many weapons that can be used against the enemy. And they're mighty weapons. They're meant to be used in an offensive attack. They're meant to be used to go forward together. It's a fact of history. It's a fact of experience that no army ever won a war on the defense. Do you know that? No football team ever won a match simply by being good defenders. Somebody has to learn how to take the ball and put it in the net. Somebody has to learn how to move forward. A famous general was asked, and the previous wars gone by, which army, what kind of an army is it that wins a war? Do you know what his response was? The one that advances. What kind of a Christian is the one that wins the day-to-day -day battles? The one that advances, that takes steps forward rather than steps backward. Would you look here for a moment? How many of you are tired of taking one step forward and two steps backward? Have you? Are you tired of that? Okay, here's your answer. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to live defeated and constantly watching your head and watching your back. You don't have to live that way. I believe God has more. You and I will never win. The Christian church will never win a war by retreating. And if the church is constantly backsliding, how are we ever going to win against the onslaught of Satan in this city or in this country? How's it going to happen? If we're constantly up and down like a roller coaster, hot for Jesus one week, absolutely cold for him the next two. Never going to work. Because I guarantee you on those two cold weeks, Satan moves in. Satan is very clever. Keeps us on the defense. And if he can keep us on the defense... If he can keep the church only thinking about how they can defend themselves and keep their heads above the water, if he can do that, then he knows that his kingdom will not be overthrown as long as the church militant is acting like the church dormant, sleeping. 
Go with me to Matthew chapter 16, if you would, please. This is one of those famous passages of Scripture, one of the famous, most famous declarations made in all of God's Word, made by Peter, the first of the apostles, the leading of the apostles in The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, whom do men say that I am, that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say that thou art Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? By the way, that's the question of the ages. Who do you say that Jesus is? And Simon Peter answered, and he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Would you look here for a moment? The greatest truths that will ever find a lodging place in your heart and mind are the truths that God in heaven reveals to you. Those are the greatest truths because a man can teach you all sorts of biblical truth and that's good. We need to do that. But unless God himself turns the light on in regards to those truths, not quite the same. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. And I, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock, what rock is he talking about? He's talking about the rock of a statement that Peter just made, that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The first time the word church is found in the Bible is right there in that verse. Do you know that? The first time the word church is found is right there. I will build my church. This is the offensive thrust in nature of the gospel. Jesus is building his church. Now, I wonder, do we see that today? Can we look around and see the Lord Jesus building his church? Or or do we rather sit by and talk about how Satan's kingdom is winning? I'm afraid that most of our conversation is about how dark the world is. I'm afraid that most of our conversation is about how terrible it is and how how bad things are getting and it's getting worse and worse. We know that to be true according to the word of God. But Jesus is still building his church. We find in the word all through the scripture that there are really two parts of the work of God. Building and battling. You find in Old Testament and New Testament, perhaps one of the most obvious places is in Nehemiah, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Yesterday, two different people mentioned this to me. This was the theme of the uh, Camp Victory in the Netherlands last week, which was a a blessing. Lau and Tom were there, and uh, more than 60 children coming along. What a blessing. Nehemiah was the theme. There was a lot of opposition from some of the, even some of the local Christians. Some of the local ministers and elders sent letters around saying, don't send your children to that camp. Somebody took an X and crossed, spray painted an X on their sign, Camp Victory, by the end of the week. But they were encouraged because they were studying the life of Nehemiah. And if you remember, Nehemiah said to Sanballat and Tobiah when they came, come on down. They said Nehemiah was on top of the wall building 
Come on down, let's have a chat. Nehemiah said, I cannot come down for I am doing a great work. And in this book of Nehemiah, we see so plainly articulated for us both a building work of God's kingdom and a battling work. Both. The Bible says in Nehemiah 4.17, they which build it on the wall and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, everyone with one of his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. You get the picture? One hand holding a shovel, the other hand holding a sword. That's the picture you get. The sword and the trowel. That was the name of the periodical, the newspaper that Charles Spurgeon began to write and publish when he was alive. The sword and the trowel, uh, identifying those two parts of the kingdom of God. Building the church and battling against the kingdom of darkness. Both is needed. And sometimes if you're not careful, confusion comes in. People have looked at Matthew chapter 16 and said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And they have in their mind created the image that the church is hiding out in a basement somewhere and hell is attacking that little basement church. And Jesus saying, don't worry, hell will not be able to conquer you. That's the opposite of what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is not that the church is hiding away and hell is attacking it. But what Jesus is saying is that the church is attacking hell. Rescuing souls. Delivering souls out of the clutches of Satan. Delivering them into the kingdom of God. That's the work of the church. Not some passive defensive hiding out. But a militant, aggressive, advancing for the name of God himself. This is what we find. I will build my church. The church doesn't sit by in defense. The church is meant to be attacking. Attacking the kingdom of darkness. We are meant to be attacking Satan and his kingdom. And if we attack, his gates will not be able to keep us out. That's a promise. That's a promise. So what are we afraid of? Why are we giving in and, and, and backing up and huddling together and our knees shaking because of how bad things are getting in the world? Jesus told us that he's going to build his church and hell can't stop it. We have no right to be afraid. We got to stop thinking that this is all about the church keeping Satan out of our gates. That's important too. We need to rather think that this is about us attacking the gates of hell. Let us take courage. Let us rise up like men. Let us storm the gates of hell, knowing that Satan and all of hell cannot stop us. If we obey the commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, if we follow his command, do you really think that we can be stopped? Think about that. Think about the point of attack. Where is it that we are attacking the gates of hell? The very entrance point where souls are drifting in and drifting off. That's where we put our attention and our aim. Gates were representative of many things in the scriptures. They were representative of counsel and rule. The chief rulers would sit in the gates of the city and make decisions from the gates of the city. You find that in the, in the book of Esther. You find that in the book of Proverbs, you remember that famous proverb about the virtuous woman? And Proverbs chapter 31 and verse number 23, her husband is known in the gates 
when he sitteth among the elders of the land. And here's what Jesus is saying. We shall attack the very counsel and rulings of Satan himself. And get victory. We're told in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's where we attack, not where we are being attacked. May the Lord help us. May God help change our thinking instead of thinking about, I wonder how Satan is going to attack me next. Instead of going around nervously, looking every which way and our knees shaking every time we, we walk out of the house instead of walking about nervously thinking, I wonder, uh, where, where's his attack coming from next? It ought to be the other way around. It ought to be that Satan and all of hell are quivering because they want to know, they're wondering where the Oxford Baptist Church is going to attack next. That's the way it ought to be. Remember in Acts chapter 19? Remember the story when these seven sons of Siva, who were Jews and chief priests, they took upon themselves, in verse number 13 of Acts 19, then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus. So here are some people who watched the disciples. They saw the power and the authority upon the disciples, the apostles, and they said, well, we, we're going to try that as well. The Bible says they found some people who were possessed with devils and they, they began to call upon them. We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. They'd obviously watched Paul do it. And there were seven sons of one Siva, Jew, and the chief priest which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? Somebody, somebody once said, uh, I heard, I think it was Leonard Ravenhill say, someone once said, I want to be known in heaven. To which he responded, I want to be known in hell. I want the devils and the demons to know, like they knew Paul. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, because Paul had wreaked such a havoc on the kingdom of darkness. Because Paul had advanced with such fierce vigor and strength that all of hell ran when the apostle Paul walked up. That's the way we ought to be living. That's not our own strength. We know that because in the very same passage of Ephesians 6, it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So it's not about us, but it's about the Lord's strength in us. And sometimes we walk around acting like we're defeated and we think that's a nice sign of humility. It's not. It's not at all. It's a sign of defeat. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus our Lord. I remind you what Jesus did on the cross, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, made you alive, having forgiven you all trespasses. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All your sins forgiven. But it goes on. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. He didn't just wash away your sins. He washed away the ordinances that condemned you, which was contrary to us. He took it out of the way and nailing it to his cross. And I love this verse, verse 15, having spoiled principalities. Do you know what Jesus did on the cross? He already defeated Satan. It's done. So why do you acting like he's got an upper hand on you? Why are you acting like you still got to fight and, and, and you got to, hopefully you can win? No. Jesus has won. 
He spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly. He embarrassed them. He made them a public spectacle on the cross. Do you know what? Instead of us being afraid that we're going to be embarrassed, instead of us saying, you know what? I, I know we should go out into the city center and pass out gospel leaflets and preach, and I know we should tell the world about Jesus, but I'm afraid I'm going to be embarrassed. You're joking. Jesus already made a fool of all the devil in his kingdom. What are you afraid of? Spoil them, made a show of them. And the Bible says, I love this, openly triumphing over them in it. Somebody once said that triumph is more than just winning a battle. Triumph comes after you win a battle. Triumph isn't just winning the battle, winning the war. Triumph is after you've won, they're rejoicing in celebration. That's what Jesus did. That's the way you should walk. You want to walk with a little bit of a, a jump in your step everywhere you go, knowing you have won already. Amen. We are more than conquerors. And, and, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, listen to this verse, a beautiful verse. Now thanks be unto God which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Always. I love that word, don't you? You say, but I didn't feel like I triumphed this week. In Christ is where the triumph is. In your flesh is failure. In Christ is victory after victory. And rejoicing because of the victory always causes us to triumph in Christ and make it manifest the Savior of the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Always in every place. Always victorious. Always triumphing in every place. That's the lot that belongs to the child of God. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28, the Great Commission? Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. But before that verse, there's another verse that says, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. I have all power, and therefore because I have all power, you go in that power. So do you know that actually when we advance, when we attack, we are going in the power of Jesus Christ, not our own. And so we're reminded in Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We begin to realize in this text that God has given us all we need for the attacks of Satan. All we need to, to be protected from the arrows of the wicked one. All we need to be protected from the doubts and accusations that come against our thinking. All we need, he's been, he's given to us, but he's also given us a great plethora of weapons to use for the attack. All of them found in this book, in the sword of the spirit. We're going to begin next week looking at some of these weapons. Verse 18 tells us, praying always with all prayer. Joe, the greatest weapon we have in understanding the scriptures is this weapon of prayer. And it's the most neglected one. It's the most neglected weapon. God willing, next week we'll look together at this. But let me encourage you this morning. God is always advancing. I will build my church. And I hope that today the Lord may shake you a little bit and say, come on. You have no reason to hide your head away somewhere. 
No reason to be afraid. But you have every reason to stand up in Christ, victorious. May the Lord help us to advance together. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give thanks unto Thee that You have caused us always to triumph in Christ Jesus our Lord. We praise Thee that Thou art always on the move. Thank Thee, Lord, that we are already, we have already won. And I pray that we might begin to labor from that truth. Encourage us today. Yes, Lord, help us to keep our eyes open against the attacks of Satan. But may we also be reminded that we have the victory. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory in Christ Jesus. Faith is victory. Help us, we pray. Help us to move forward together. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name and for his sake.